Hi everyone and welcome back to Information Revolution, a podcast for people who work in information, hopefully interesting topics and thinking about how things are changing in the world of our work. Let's uh, introduce ourselves. I'm Michael Upton. Um, I'm a director of MetaTaxis New Zealand based in Wellington. And I'm Judy Verno and I'm also a director of MetaTaxis New Zealand, also based in Wellington. I'm an information architect. Great, and I'm Carl Melrose. I'm the Head of Business Development and Consulting for Leadership Through Data at Records Management Training Company. I'm based in Adelaide in Australia. So, Carl, what are we doing today? So, the last podcast that we did, um, we spent about 25 minutes talking about various aspects of information architecture and, you know, sort of points of view and those sorts of things. And we we agree sort of agreed afterwards the next logical thing to do you know once you've got that sort of conceptual framework was to really think about what you've already got and that's really an information audit process or you know a, an information survey or you know everybody 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 has a different name for it and a taxonomical bone to pick with you know the word that you use <laughs> and so <laughs> which, which 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 means that I I think we really should start with you Judy and. Uh, Right. <laughs> Let's yeah. start with what what you what you call it. And yeah. <laughs> work, work on from there. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, if you there are lots and lots of reasons why you need to know what kind of content you've got. Um, lots of people call this an information audit. I think I said last time I'd kind of shy away from that word because it it smacks to me of value and uh, making a decision about whether this is good stuff or bad stuff. So I tend to use the word um, information inventory or uh, just looking at your information landscape. When I'm being technical, I call it a physical model of the of the uh, enterprise content. But you can obviously you might be doing this for lots of different reasons. And so you might be doing it uh, in order to make sure that you're complying with legislation you need to have an information asset register that kind of stuff Um, you might be doing it for mitigation of risk which i'm certainly very familiar with doing uh, inventories on that basis where there's been a breach and the organization suddenly realizes they actually don't know what they've got where so (laughs) whoops time to find out Um, you might be doing it because you're wanting to move your content from here to there, wherever there is. Um, So migration, you want to improve search. You just want to do some IT planning even, you know, and and, uh, make some better sense, rationalize your systems. So there's a lot of reasons, uh, and, and there's more than that, I'm sure, why you might need to know what it is you've got. But in all of those cases, you can't really plan for the new world without being absolutely sure what you have got um it's just like in my mind it's like um designing a house you know you've got to do your overarching architecture and look at and look at what you need for that and you need to base the need on uh, your requirements so sorry i'm going off stream a little bit but um yes what i want to say is that the kind of inventory or landscape that you build depends very much on what it is you're trying to do. And that can be quite a detailed process. It could take, as and I've done inventories that have taken six months for six people. 
um, you could do something half decent in a week with one person um, and some tools to to run across your shared drives or whatever it is just to get a sense of what you've got so it doesn't have to be a major exercise but the key thing is and I think there are two aspects of it one aspect is what have you actually got there uh, how much is there what sort of format is it in you know what are those repositories and then the other side of it is and what's it about actually so you know we've got this stuff we've got you know, however many gigabytes, terabytes, um, and millions of documents. Um, but we also need to be absolutely sure we have a, a high level view of what it's about as well. That's my view. Mm. My starter for 10. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing I like, you, you started to touch on there, you know, the things that drive your audit or whatever we're calling your inventory, yeah, your inventory whatever. process. Um I mean, for me, that's the thing that I, I guess I see go wrong most often. You know, I, I, I've done a few, I've done a few information asset registers for different organisations, and inevitably, it's been because someone thought we should do one, or yeah. because yeah. you know it's yeah. best practice or it's good practice, or exactly. you know, the in Victoria at the moment, the Office of the Victorian Information Commissioner has just mandated that every government agency needs to have one, and they need to update it every couple of years. Um, well, if it's a compliance exercise, I mean, you know, and this is, I was on another podcast about this that I might see if we can link to in the show notes um, about information asset registers recently. And I think there's a huge danger that you do them as a, a legislative or, mm. you know, that kind mm. of requirement. Absolutely. And, you know, the, 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 what you were saying there too about, you know, you can spend six months doing one for six people or you can, you know, get some pretty good stuff done in a week. I mean, the resolution that you're at to do your information asset register, I think, depends largely on the problems that you want to solve. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, the, mm. you know, I mean, for want of marrying the terms up with records management, you could do one at the functional level. You could go to your business functions and say, where do, where do, where do you keep all your stuff? And they could tell you and you could have it done in and, you know, then you could stick at the sort of file server level instead of going mm. lower or, or something, you know, mm. something like that. And you could be done in an afternoon for your whole organisation and possibly fulfil, you know, a large portion of that, of that requirement. But, you know, the, the things that I keep finding are that you've got organisations that they have real problems with findability. They have real problems with um you know naming conventions and those sorts of things and if those things aren't driving your audit process if you're not coming to your audit process saying here are the problems that we that we want to solve and need mm. to solve through this yeah. audit i i think you i think you're going to go wrong and Absolutely. it's probably the the least discussed part of the whole yeah. thing you know what problem are you solving through your audit process yeah yeah if you just actually need to know how much stuff there is, how old it is, uh, what kinds of things it is. Yeah, you can do that really, really quickly just with some tools running across whatever your repositories are. And that can tell you a lot. What, what I mean, are you, I know we don't want to, to get into sort of tooling discussions, but I, I just get crickets every time I ask people about the tools that they use to do this stuff. And I'm, really curious about it because I, I've always approached this as an interview process. You know, it's kind of you go and you sit with a team and, you know, you, right. you budget a couple of hours and, right, you know, 
these are the activities you've got right you know where do you get the information you know for those activities you know what formats are in risk classes those sorts of things but it's an interview process and the thing i've always been really conscious of with that is that it's gonna i i just feel like it's gonna miss a lot of stuff because you know you've got the unknown unknowns you've got the edge case where only one person remembers where that stuff is because it's on microfilm in a basement somewhere and if you're doing, if you really, if you need, if you actually need to do that depth of inquiry, you have to do it from both ends. So you do have to do, go and interview everybody, but you also have to do it from the technology end, if you like, so that you're finding out. So, for example, I can remember doing something where we asked people where they stored stuff on the shared drives. And then you also get your shared drives report from tree size or solar winds or whatever it is and then you've got to match the two up which is of course when you discover that there's this all this stuff out there with no owner that nobody knows what the hell it is so even though you've done your team by team exercise yeah and it does not match that's exactly where you discover the kind of digital version of the you know sealed basement that no one yes. knew about <laughs> because your you know your your system reporting tells you ah you know there's there's x million files that haven't been touched for five years and they all sit under this folder that only you know it can see so what is this <laughs> and then so of course it becomes you know a critical aspect of the exercise or, or it can be Totally depending on what you're trying to achieve. But if what you're trying to achieve is a, you know, totality of what you've got, like what's the extent of the information and where is it, you know, then, yeah, you have to then start scratching the surface of that stuff or at least agree what you do next, I suppose. Yeah. Um, One thing that I thought I would throw in there that's actually quite a general thing, but definitely relates to this this whole topic of um, why are we doing this? Like one of the most critical things that I've been taught in in relatively recent years to ask is just, so what? So just this idea that I've got this information, so what? You know, I've found this out, well, so what? You know, this kind of, um, it's a slightly confrontational version of um, business analysts have that technique called five whys, where you ask why, you know, why do you do this thing? Yeah, yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? You know, you keep going into the details to try and actually understand the underlying reason, or you know, it's kind of trying to draw out root cause, and um, you know, and, and I guess I just wanted to throw that in there because I think in terms of um, approaching, uh, I mean, pretty much anything I do in my work, but also um, specifically with these kinds of things, this kind of stock take idea, just throwing in a new name for it, um, asking, well, well, so what? Like, you know. If we had this information, well, so what? You know, if we knew X, what's actually going to change? Like that's that's always what's on my mind. Yeah. And if people cannot articulate, you know, once I've finished this exercise, we will be able to do something. You know, we'll be able to do yeah. something different, or we can kick off the next thing yeah. that we've got in mind. You know, then I don't want to do it. You know, I just I just think. I mean, just what, what, don't stop wasting time, you basically. Can, you can also do it in stages. Yep. So you can do a really high-level view, that really quick and dirty view, and discover, as a government department did last year, mm-hmm. that they'd still got a whole bundle of records that they'd actually they'd transferred them to another agency 
but they still had them and they didn't okay. and and a lot of data so you could get rid of that Brilliant. because yeah. it's already it's already been transferred it's already mm-hmm. been transferred yep. so so that's good you can and, say but we've got we've got this duplicated here and here so we could get rid of that lot we've got this stuff that's really old and we are absolutely certain that we don't need it anymore so that kind of rationalization uh, is a quick sure. a quick win yeah and i guess i mean in a roundabout way what we're actually saying here is um i mean and this just goes back to your first point i guess judy about the idea that you do this for many reasons we've sort of started off with a conversation that led from talking about information architecture and this idea as a um an early activity in developing an information architecture but it's also as you know as we're saying useful for all kinds of other purposes um and one of those things can be rationalizing all this junk (laughs) and once you've basically ditched that and that dross then you may have a clearer idea of what it is that you need to architect for because you might say well actually you know we're not going to spend time trying to categorize or group or describe crap yes (laughs) we're going to just focus on the things that you know we're going to retain and keep using um and another thing that's been on my mind is i mean i've recently been um, working on the development of what new zealand would call a disposal authority and in doing that kind of work where yeah you're doing the functional analysis and all that fun stuff it's um inevitable i think that you identify where sets of information are any kind of idea of ownership even if it's kind of not very formal or you know people are doing a bit of the bags not um and i i found it pretty much impossible to resist trying to capture further information about sort of you know what systems things are in and what yeah. talks to what yeah. and um you yeah <laughs> the, the 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 main other point that you know has been sort of pinging up constantly for me you know it's just one of these points that i think i've made on something else we did ages ago about metadata needing to be catalytic you know it needing to actually drive a specific action you know this yes every every audit process that i've ever been involved in has ended up as basically a spreadsheet of some kind or you know it's ended up in a or or it's ended up in a tool that might as well be a spreadsheet because realistically you know it's got it's got columns and rows and cells and stuff yep but so you you're building a schema that's the first thing you do and if you are adding something to that why are you adding it you know what's the business process what action will you take you know how often does the business process run who's responsible for its governance you know i I think really asking and it might be a five wise kind of thing you know why do we need to capture this why is that important who is going to run that process you know what impact is it going to have on the organization if we if we don't do it asking those things every single time you add a column because i think as you say michael there is a we see this with metadata in edrms systems there is a huge temptation to just you know keep adding metadata and you know particularly if you know you're talking to people who are of a more archival type bent you know they want to capture all of the context data that they possibly can because one day you might need it without thinking about how that's going to impact on you know just how many things people need to do to actually keep that record and what that what impact that's going to have on whether the record gets kept i think information asset registers are the same you know i mean i did one for a council a couple of years ago uh, and i think we ended up with about 1700 rows in that what ended up being a spreadsheet it was gigantic and i don't remember how many columns but it was a lot 
Yeah. But, you know, we had a bunch of quite specific objectives that we were aiming at. We workshopped that. We, we spent a lot of time workshopping that with the organisation we did it for to say, right, why do you need to know this? Because, you know, the first mm. thing that, you know, the natural tendency was to start with the, you know, a template that had come from somewhere because it gives you something to think about. Yep. But then we ended up removing a bunch of columns, adding a bunch of others that became really important for things they wanted to do in the future. And I think if you don't go through that process, mm. I think if you don't say, right, why are we putting this column in? Who is going to be responsible for this? What actions is it going to drive? Who's going to own them? When are they going to do them? Get really specific. Again, I think you just add a lot of stuff that just becomes more sure. rot, you know, more, sure. more crap. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's always true. I'm absolutely horrified by your giant spreadsheets, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you use? Um, we have used oh, a number of things, but it works well it can it can be quite a nice SharePoint list if you use something like InfoPath to to gather the content, you know, gather the data and then put those in a list so that you can sort by does this contain personal information or not, for example, you know, let's sort by what's um, physical, what's databases, what's, you know, sort it in any way. Um, yep. One time we did a really nice one that was all in XML actually, and just therefore wow. present it out again however you, however you want it so you can sort it and do all kinds of nice things with it. But but SharePoint, SharePoint works well. Yeah. Okay. And, and we uh, did one in, in a, a very up. early SharePoint for a council, local authority in the UK, which was in 2002 or something, and they're still using it. They are still keeping it up to date. Wow. Years down the track. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's a commitment. Yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that suggests obvious, you know, business value that it's not yeah. just someone, someone uh, just doing a sort of pet project. Yeah. Judy, do yeah. you ever have the problem of, of – do you ever – how often do you have to deal with the problem of the underlying stuff changing while you're in the middle of a project? And how do you deal with that? In terms of this information stock take, do you yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. It just occurred to me, you know, I mean, when you're, you're talk, we're talking about over 20 years, but I mean, if you're doing a project and it's a two-year project, I would imagine there are reasonable changes even over that period of time. Well, it's, yeah, it's true. And of course, if you're focusing on just quantities and that kind of stuff, then they're going to be going up, you know, even while you're asking the question, it's going to be going up. <laughs> So you can only say, well, this is actually the best thing to do around that is say, well, this is what it was when I started this project at the beginning of the month. And this is what it is in terms of quantity. Yeah. This is what it is at the end of the month. So you can make some, you know, you can do some yeah. extrapolation around that, what mm. it might mean going forwards. Um, in terms of other things, yeah, I think it's, I do think it's tricky. I did one very big inventory for, um, the NHS who were having data coming in and then processing and going out again and they really really needed to keep track of those things so each of those sets was coming in and needed to be recorded and then what else have we got in the organization for other reasons compliance but also what are we generating and what's the relationship between these mm. things 
Um, and that was something that was obviously changing all the time. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well, we could only, I mean, yeah, we could only do it at the time and and encourage them to keep it up to date. I don't know how well that went, but I, I yeah. think they just they felt that they needed to get some handle on it because at the time when they commissioned the work, they were feeling really quite. We just don't know. So at least yeah. you can know at that point. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. And as, as you say, if you can kind of measure the sort of the direction things are going, you know, then that's yeah. so useful because, you know, typically if these things come back to deciding what you want to do next and how you're going to prioritise stuff, which is often true, you know, it's about like, well, where do we put our efforts and what do we focus on? Um, then if you've identified that something is growing rapidly and it's already got a high risk profile for whatever reason then it's like cool okay yes i don't actually need to know the exact numbers i just need to know that this is a risk and it looks like it's getting bigger yeah you know, so yeah i think i think while things will be in flux sometimes i'm not sure yeah i wonder how often that actually matters mm. yeah mm. yeah i mean yeah. it's an interesting sideshow i mean i i I, I see lots of organizations and, you know, I mean, I think the things that you could probably learn about just how much work teams are doing from their file creation rates and those sorts of things. And and I don't think most managers actually know those sorts of statistics. And I think they would absolutely love to, you know, right, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I wonder, know, just for resource planning and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Uh, I'm sure you're not saying this, Carl, but I'd definitely caution any manager who thought that the number of files you were creating was a sign of productivity. <laughs> and the, the, you know, like, like it tells you something, but of course you just want to be sensible about it because, you know, I managed to make 7 million documents today. It doesn't really tell you anything about what no. I actually delivered to the, you know, organisation. See, one no, of the, yeah. one of the yeah. statistics that we quite like to feed back to uh, organisations is the number of documents in the organisation per employee, which can really make people yeah. go, what? <laughs> um, yeah. And obviously that, you know, each employee has not created that number of documents because it's been done over time. But still, you know, when you think, my God, there are 35,000 documents in this organisation, you know, just and just me, that's pretty overworked for each each person working here. There are 35,000 documents. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it is a bit mind blowing, even though, you know, logically it doesn't correlate like that. See, I mean, I think there's a, I, I think you can make really good predictions about these things, though, too. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I was at an organisation selling a collaboration product that was licensed per document at one point. And, right. Um, <laughs> and it was, oh, look, you know, you bought 50,000, 100,000, you know, those kinds of things. And it was, the, the thing that was really interesting coming out of that was going back afterwards and actually looking at how those documents were being created on a sort of case-by-case -case basis and the thing that the thing that I kept finding was amazing consistency across you know across long periods of time you know you'd hit an average and you'd just stick at it and you know I, I think things like that 
can be really interesting for planning because while while you know I wouldn't say that file creation or something like that is a or document creation is a a mark of productivity you know if you're an organization and you manage cases on a specific topic there's going to be there are going to be some mathematical certainties yeah you know yeah. in yeah. those sorts yeah. of things and yeah. if you can start to understand what those are then I think you can start to do some really smart planning around all kinds of things from yeah. employee capacity to storage to you know yeah. starting to get into the productivity aspects of it, you know, like, yeah. well, every single time we do this, we do these things. Why don't we do some automation around that and actually make it, yeah. you know, yeah. actually do yeah. something for people's productivity? Because yeah. we know yeah. that we do it 35,000 times a year and it takes an hour. Absolutely. And if you knew you did, you know, 100 cases a year and each one required 5,000 documents or something and you you know you, you can start to kind of think about well what does what's that going to mean for people in the future you know mm. so the people trying to do the work do they need to refer to the past cases yes they do oh okay well exactly they're going to get this increasing volume of stuff that they have to deal with exactly. so what would we do to architect that so that then they can find what they need and do their jobs yeah so yeah I think I think all those kind of metrics uh, are definitely really valuable which I'm sure we <laughs> have just been saying over and over. <laughs> um, one possibly last thing I want to throw in the mix is that um, in this conversation, I'm, I'm really conscious of the fact that we haven't been splitting hairs over whether we're talking about things that are in an EDRMS, things that are on a shared drive, you know, right. things that are data or not, you know, line of business systems, I think. I suspect, so long as I'm on these things, uh, a recurrent theme of this podcast is going to be the fact that managing information requires thinking about information in a form agnostic way. Yeah. And yep. that some of the most critical records of government are in line of business systems. You know, Absolutely. They're in, they're in applications. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We, so, we should have so, so so made that. Exercise. We should yeah, have made we that should clear have made that clear. Because yeah. that's how I think, you know, it's yeah. everything. It's business systems, it's paper repositories, it's microfilm, exactly. it's, yeah. it's that, yeah, exactly. file servers. It's that bunch of CDs in the corner that nobody's looked at for however exactly. long. So mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things that yeah. um, the three of us probably are at that point of taking it for granted because we're always ranting about those kinds of topics. But, um, but you know, I do just want to call that out for all of you listening to this is that, you know, whenever we're talking, we're not going to be talking about, you know, what's in my little carefully managed system. We're talking about the totality of what the organisation has. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. I mean, I think that I think the, the changes of form are the big information architecture decisions. You know, it's we've got all this stuff over here and it's amazingly consistent. Why why isn't it in a business system? You right. know, yeah. we, we have we have a whole bunch of forms here and we have this process that keeps producing forms. Well, why isn't that a business system? Because then we can automate all of this stuff. Sure. I, I, I think those sorts of things I, I think they're the, the big information architecture decisions and the ones that can really drive pro the productivity of the organization. So good, good, good pickup because I think we would have, I think we would have, uh, I think we would have missed that one. <laughs> Very good. All right. I think that's us. It is. Thanks, guys. This has been an absolute pleasure, as always. <laughs> See you Bye next side. time. Catch you all next time. See ya. Bye.